Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 16. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he satisfies the thirsty, and the hungry he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Their hearts were bowed down with hard labor. They fell down with no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Exodus chapter 15 verses 22 through 27. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why why it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he put them to the test. He said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give heed to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees and they camped there by the water. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. For as the builder of a house, he has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we hold firm in the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. Good morning, and welcome to the fourth Monday of Lent. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Iamsville, Maryland. 
This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 107, Exodus 15, and Hebrews 3. And I feel like we've heard the Hebrews reading recently about being um, being the house of God. Um, but I was I was thinking about you know whether or not there were any connections between Hebrews and Exodus when the bitter water was made sweet and then the, the builders of the house. Um, Moses built the house. Jesus is the son who oversees the house. And we are a part of this this house of God. And in the Exodus reading, they, um, they're growing thirsty. And they come upon some water finally, but it's bitter. It's no good. And so God shows them God shows Moses in a dream, the builder of this house, um, uh, that he throws a piece of wood into the water and it becomes sweet. And, you know, say what you will about what <clears throat> what that might be describing, I have no idea, but um, he shows the builder of this house a way to make the water safe. Um, and uh, while we were living in um, Knoxville, um there was this development up the hill in Brunswick. It was a, it's a commuter town. There's a train station that takes you into Washington Union Station. And you see these houses go up and up and up, and it's you know it's still growing. And I still remember when we first got there, there was a big farm um, that by the time we left two years later and came to um, Walkersville, um, there, you know, the, enti- the entire farm had been basically developed. There were houses all the way to the edge of where the farm once was. And um, one of the things that developments or, or modern architecture and everything have brought us is plumbing. There's a way, you know, we take for granted that water is just right there. It's just the turn of a faucet. Um, and, you know, that goes along with electricity, hot water, um, shelter from you know, weather and everything. Um, and there's nothing we need more than water. And so safe drinking water delivered literally to your fingertips, is actually this incredible innovation. The The rest of the world doesn't all have fresh, safe, immediately accessible drinking water. Um, and I think of, uh, in terms of the military and war and all the questions around military service, um, one of the, you know, this debate uh, about what violence and what enforcement is legitimate or or, you know, and which is not. Um, Iraq was less legitimate, less just than Afghanistan. Um, some people who are more absolutists um, would say all w- war is unjust, and, and I apply to be a con- uh, conscientious objector, non-combatant, um, because I do object to war in any form. Um, that's not because... Um, I think that the military is all bad. You know, I didn't ask to get out of the military. Um, but there's there's this great line from a Derek Webb song. It's, it's really the whole song. Um, it talks about uh, or asks the question: Is it worth? Um, was it worth what you gave up to get what you got? And that's I'm butchering it. I can't remember what the the lyric actually is. Um, but he questions whether or not, I mean, that, that's the question that we must wrestle with. We have all these privileges, these things that we've received, like safe drinking water. Is it worth what we gave up uh, in perhaps becoming 
um, morally impure, for lack of a better word, um, is safe drinking water worth what we gave up in becoming the kind of nation that we have? And some people will very quickly say yes, and other people will very quickly say no. Um, And it strikes me that the people who say yes are more likely to have experienced loss and suffering and uh, poverty. Um, Is it worth giving up certain things to not be in poverty? I think people are much more quickly uh, ready to say yes. I think of, you know, in Africa or, or South America where they don't have safe drinking water, would they adopt our lifestyle and, and give up being you know, morally, ritually pure or something? And I think a lot of them would. And then once we get here, it's only once we have these things that the grass suddenly looks greener on the other side. Um, is it worth um, becoming America and you know all the positive and negative connotations that that espouses um, in order to get the the benefits, the freedoms that we have. Um, and I think the, I, I think a problem with, uh, with how we look at things right now in America is that it's become so polarized that instead of actually thinking about it, we have our own tribes and camps and um, bubbles that we're expected to have a ready-made answer. So if you go to you know the Christian anarchist circles that, that I'm familiar with, no, it was not worth it. Um, uh, America's an empire, and that's evil, and, um, and yet we can say that. I'm, I'm genuinely curious how that kind of framework, um, how that interacts with a place like communist China where um, they're state-sponsored religions, and Christianity ain't one of them. Um, I think it looks much different. I think even having the debate is, a, is evidence of a kind of luxury um, which is not bad, but it is something that we should consider um, before jumping into one, you know, camp or or bandwagon or another um, to consider the perspectives that may not be our own. Um, you know the the um, the families who are living in poverty and dealing with drug addiction in Knoxville would they would give up um, the lifestyle they have. They would, you know, join the military and go out and fight wars and get, you know, the, the perceived benefits of citizenship. Same thing with African Americans in World War One, World War Two. They do. They were they are they were happy to join the military because they believed that they were giving up something to get something else. And that something else, when it didn't come, then they leveraged their military experience to get the thing that they were promised, like first-class citizenship and, <clears throat> and freedom and, and democracy. Um, and some people, not all, not just African-Americans, but um, I think I've heard it first through African-American communities, is that America wasn't really free until the civil rights movement made it reckon with the lofty ideals of the promises it made to its own citizens, who at the time... Uh, were mostly, or the people who could vote at least, were mostly um, landowning white men. Um, and so the promises of a better life are are very often worth giving up something, not just um, time and energy, but a certain amount of 
naivete or ignorance or um, um, innocence even. Um, and I think a lot of people who, I, I think that to readily have an answer um, of yes or no discloses something about ourselves. Um, that um, it's when you don't have safe drinking water um, that you were happy to become just like the nations. Because if the nations have drinking water, then that's fine. Yeah, we'll be like the nations. And First Samuel 8 um, marks this turn from th- this tribal confederacy that the Israelites just could not maintain because there was so much infighting. They wanted one king and to be like the other nations because the other nations didn't fight with themselves. They were unified. Um, and so Samuel... Um, is is sad, and he warns them what a king will do. But the fact is they couldn't make the tribal confederacy work. Um, they continue to infight. And so God says, well, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. Um, but they want to be just like everybody else because everybody else um, seemed much more stable um, and and secure than, than they did, uh, than they felt. Um, and so when there, when water is scarce, when um, when there's civil wars everywhere, um, the grass is particularly greener on the other side, and they're willing to take these, uh, make sacrifices, moral sacrifices, of giving up certain things. You know, like the Patriot Act, we gave up certain securities um, in order to feel more safe, to feel more secure, and now we're we're reckoning with that. Um, and so the the house that we've built, we've built through. Um, whether we like it or not, especially in and after World War II, we've built it through superior force and firepower. Um, and now we're beginning to see how economics are a much more stabilizing factor, um, much more um, predictable and you know, mutual and universal a, um, you know, a set of in, uh, incentives than brute military force. Uh, but we are we're here now. We have running water right at our fingertips. We have a large, uh, highly equipped professional military. Um, the question of, you know, how can we give that up to get something else better seems moot. I think the more important question is, what do we do now that we're here? What do we do with this powerful military? What do we do with this privilege that we have acquired for ourselves? Not to th- wash our hands of it, um, uh, but to embrace what it is that we have and to be responsible um, and, and humble but confident in the powers and privileges that we have. A prayer for guidance from the Book of Common Prayer. O God, by whom the meek are guided in judgment and light rises up in darkness for the godly, grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us do, that the spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, and that in your light we may see light, and in your straight path may not stumble. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash 
You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.